Welcome to the broadcast, friends. Welcome to tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. You are tuned into Republic Broadcasting at republicbroadcasting.org. And I'm your host for this hour of radio transmission, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, broadcasting to you, as always, from the palatial home recording studios of the Corbett Report here in the on the shores of Western Japan. And tonight we have a pretty big treat lined up for all of you out there. We're joined on the line from an Oregonian, by an Oregonian from uh, from Oregon, but who is now actually living in Stockholm, Sweden, where he teaches international finance and psychology. He's also the author of a book called Freedom from Conscience, Melanie's Journey, talking about a uh, fictional representation of something that is all too real in our society, namely psychopathy. So uh, always an interesting subject, and it's a great pleasure to have him on the line. Michael Cross, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me on, James. Excellent. Well, it's good to have you here to talk about your, your work and, uh, and, of course, to talk about psychopathy itself. But just in the first couple of minutes here before the first break, perhaps you can introduce a little bit about yourself and your story. How did you end up in Stockholm? Well, I think the way I wound up in uh, Sweden is the way of many uh, Americans wind up in Sweden, and that's when you meet and marry a Swedish person. So <laughs> that essentially uh, sums that up. Otherwise, it's a really cold place most of the time. So <laughs> I guess so. Well, I'm, I'm here in Japan, and I'm married to a Japanese woman as well. So I guess that's often how it works, isn't it? And you teach uh, psychology and international finance. That's an interesting um, mixture of subjects, isn't it? Well... Yeah, and unless you actually consider that they blend in very well with each other. Um, I've always had a strong interest in political psychology. Um, once ran for Oregon State Senate, didn't, oh, won the primary, didn't get into the general, but uh, I've always had a very strong interest in politics, uh, but also psychology itself. And uh, I think that if you blend in what the political aspects of uh, economic issues, of which you can't separate those, and the psychological aspects of the political and economic issues, you see that they all work hand in hand. And I think we often try to split these these areas apart from one another when I think that's impossible to get a comprehensive view of what's going on and power structures and how both the individual and the society operates within those. Well, that's that's a very astute point, and uh, the observation has been made that specialization is for bugs and uh, humans can do more. And I think that's a good point, because when we keep these subjects apart, uh, kind of artificially in the academic se- setting, uh, we, we start to, to really unhinge and unhook some of the connections that are there to be made. So, for example, when we try to pretend that psychology has nothing to do with politics, we neglect such things as uh, political ponerology, which uh, may come up in today's conversation. But, uh, but I think that's exactly right. So I think looking and exploring some of these, uh, these cross-references and the ways that subjects blend into each other is increasingly important in a world that places such importance on specialization. Why do you think specialization has become such uh, uh, the norm in academic studies? I think it's just the way that our educational system is set up. 
Um, we start starting around high school and then going into your undergraduate program and then your graduate program. There seems to be a artificial division, just as public schools are an artificial um, segregation of people based on their age, not their abilities. The uh, we tend to also segregate according to subjects. So when we start specializing in those areas, I think sometimes we wind up with a lot of educators who one person has a specialty in one area, one in another, one in another, and it creates these non-interdisciplinary uh, paradigms. Unfortunately so. Well, a fascinating subject, and we're, of course, going to be delving into psychopathy. So let's take a short breather, and we'll be back with Michael Cross right after this. Broadcast friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, talking to Michael Cross, the author of Freedom from Conscience, Melanie's Journey, that was published by Black Rose Writing. And he's also a, a teacher of international finance and psychology. He resides in Sweden. So tonight, we are uh, talking about psychopaths in our society and uh, the issue of psychopathy generally. Michael, let's use your, your book as a starting point for this conversation Maybe you can tell us about Freedom from Conscience and what it's about and how it came together. Okay. Well, I'll first give you a little bit of a synopsis. Basically, what I decided to do, I thought it would be an in, an interesting exercise to not, you know, just describe what, a, you know, a psychopath is in the academic sense. I've done that for years, teaching psychology. But to actually create a character that truly represents... Um, what a psychopath would be. Uh, and not the Hollywood misrepresentation, you know, the, the crazy uh, middle-aged guy living in his mother's basement and clipping out newspaper clippings of crimes uh, from others or him for himself. Um, the psychopath is not that. It's not the Norman Bates who was, you know, more delusional and schizophrenic, you know, in the... Sh- killing someone in the shower and so forth. Actually, they're kind of the opposite. And so I thought it would be kind of an interesting exercise to create a character who exhibits the traits of psychopathy um, so that people can see this on a more personal level. So what I did was create a character, a female, a young female character, who incorporates all the traits and since it's a first-person narrative, um, similar, I guess you could say, to Alex in Clockwork Orange, which is a first-person narrative, um, it goes through her trials. Of course, you're going to have trials with these kinds of personality traits, but also the advantages to her when it comes to getting her goals. Thus, the, the, um, the title, Freedom from Conscience, which... Is, an, is a wordplay on uh, the more noble-sounding freedom of conscience. So freedom from conscience actually uh, is, from her perspective, a way of achieving goals uh, and surviving life from her perspective. Um, the sequel's coming out here shortly, which follows her progression uh, through this, and hopefully the 
the other sequels will be published as well, in which finally this person winds up uh, in elective office. But um, essentially what it is is that she gets involved with um, um, a couple of people, a couple of fellow students. She's in her last year of high school, has just moved into a new high school, and a teacher, and they wind up uh, introducing her to, uh, I guess you could say, vigilante serial killing. And so, at the same time, it's it's not kind of a, uh, it's not really a Charles Bronson Death Wish sort of thing, and it's certainly not a Dexter sort of thing. It goes deeper into the psychology. The serial killing is merely a, uh, it's in the background. But instead, it deals with the psychology and the dynamics of her within this group, and how that turns out in the end. Well, it, it certainly sounds fascinating, and I, I think for a lot of people out there, for example, the reference to Alex from Clockwork Orange or, or certain of the other characters that we've uh, seen in literature before might be a good reference point for that type of, well, uh, mind that clearly has something missing, something that's that's very, very strange and foreign to a lot of us. In fact, according to best scientific estimates, 97% of the male population, 99% of the female population aren't really able to to envision the psychopathic mindset and what that involves. So so let's talk a little bit about how you, as an author, got inside that that mind frame. What 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 is it that a psychopath is exhibiting? What What are they missing? What are they able to do? What aren't they able to do? Well, essentially what they're not able to do is feel, I think the number one characteristic is they do not have uh, what most people would refer, refer to as empathy. When you say walk in another person's shoes, they do not understand that concept in the least. Um, that doesn't mean they couldn't have sympathy. It doesn't mean that if they're walking down the street and they see a child run over by a car and um, the crowd... Um, hysterically crowding around the kid uh, doesn't mean they're not going to have a certain level of sympathy. But the empathy part uh, is not going to be there. It's it's going to be almost an intellectual cognitive exercise. They see people behaving the way they are uh, and so forth. It doesn't come naturally to them. Now, they learn at a young age how to mimic those things to get their way, and we can talk about that later. But... Um, they don't have that internalized empathy. They they also don't have uh, feelings of guilt. Uh, they they know the rules. They learn what rules are, but they totally intellectualize those as well. So therefore, um, they don't feel when a child reaches about the age of seven or eight and they do something wrong. Um, they have a pretty good subconscious sense of, oh, I've done something wrong. I feel bad. I feel nervous. I feel, uh, well, guilty. And, of course, that goes along with all the physical responses that go with that. Um, they don't have that. So, um, in that sense, they're guilt-free. Um, if you really want to look at an archetype, you want to go from the Jungian shadow archetype they're very symbolic of characters such as the vampire character, in which um, very self-centered character, but really kind of living life on their own without actually worrying about what anyone else thinks. 
Now, that sounds good from an individual standpoint, except when you actually see what motivates that, and that is a, no sense of really respecting the rights of others and so forth. If they do things for others, it often has a personal component to it. Well, interesting, again, that you'd bring up, for example, Dracula, because it's something that I've encountered with a lot of the people we've had on this program talking about psychopathy. They'll often mention the term psychic vampires, that these are people who not only manipulate people's emotions because they are able to to sort of play beyond and detach themselves or not even experience that sphere, but they're also able to sort of feed off of the psychic energy of others in the manipulation and in, in their su- uh, drive to succeed in their own personal lives. What do you think about that take? Well, yeah, I, I think that essentially, um, like I said, back in the book, the the interesting part about how I developed the character is that when I when I first wrote up the draft, and I, of course, I was feeling like, well, should I really try to get this published, you know, and, and that sort of thing. I had a large number of people that I just let read it, and, and I wanted to see what their opinions were. And the weird part was that especially females that read, young females, um, said they totally fell in love with the character. Now I would say, well, wait a minute, you're, the, the character is a serial killer, she's a psychopath, and they, they would say, yeah, but she's cool. She's, she's really neat about that. And I think in real life, the psychopath uh, is someone that, while most people would say, oh, this person sounds really bad, they also are, in the same sense that, well, again, back to Clockwork Orange, when we're watching the show, the audience is repulsed, but at the same time attracted to Alex. Even when the first 30, 40 minutes of the program is just showing him doing really nasty things to people. And so, in that sense, I think that they give people somewhat of a thrill ride. And so in interpersonal relationships, let's say you, you, you're a woman and you meet a man who's a psychopath, he can open up a whole new world to you. And you're feeling like, wow, this is great. You know, I'm doing this and this and this. And, yeah, he'll manipulate you to try new things, uh, but it would be mostly, a man, again, manipulation. And in the end, when he takes off and leaves you with whatever pieces there are to pick up, that's when you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's happened? And in the same sense, like if you're sitting back going, wow, I got my blood drained by Dracula. (laughs) In in retrospect. And and it's interesting because I think charm is something that plays into this perhaps unexpectedly because uh, wasn't it, I think it was Ted Bundy, uh, wasn't he on the dating game or something like that and ended up winning and his uh, the judge in his trial was saying, "Wow, you're the, you're the son I never had. It's too bad that you're you know such a horrible person, kind of thing." Like he he's able to charm people in in unexpected ways, and I think that's not the image we have when we think of that type of mindset. No, no, it's again, um, no woman's going to get in a car with the guy that's portrayed on TV for the most part. Um, they're going to run away as fast as possible. On the other hand, if the guy is somewhat of a um, and I think this character sort of fits the psychopathic uh, personality. If the person's more of a James Bond sort of person, or if we look at our, um, our new, again, going back to the vampire thing, who are our new superheroes of this century? 
you know, back in the 70s, it was westerns. And in the 80s, it sort of turned into sci-fi. Now it's vampires. <laughs> and, and we have these huge fan sites and people think, wow, they are, you know, th- this character is so cool and so forth. I think that's saying something about our, our society where uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of this connection that we want, but at the same time that opens us up in a, in a personal as well as a political sense to this manipulation. Absolutely want- right. That's that's an important point. So let's hold that. We're going into another break, but uh, but let's pick up from that because obviously this does feed into our greater societal context. And if anyone out there would like to get in on tonight's conversations, the phone lines will be open one 9443 or you can tweet your questions at Corporate Report. But let's take a short breather and we'll be right back talking with Michael Cross about his book, Freedom from Conscience, right after this. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Tonight we're talking once again to Michael Cross, the author of Freedom from Conscience, Melanie's Journey, and we're talking about the sub- subject of psychopathy, something that we have discussed on this program in the past, but still nevertheless is something that is interesting and in the greater context of the culture, something that is under-discussed and under under considered when it comes to the the geopolitical realm and uh, the the context of the the politics of what we're seeing going on around us. So, for example, uh, some landmark works like Andrew Lobachevsky's uh, Political Ponerology and others have touched on this. But again, it's not something that has given been given a lot of attention. Although since the uh, the economic collapse of 2008, we've seen even academic papers coming out talking about the, the psycho- psychopathy of modern corporate culture and how uh, psychopaths can get into positions of power and then uh, commit really quite terrible atrocities uh, simply because they are free from conscience, as uh, Michael Cross's book posits. So let's start talking about the, the political and social context of this, and, and let's talk about a society in which psychopaths can succeed and often do rise to the top of a lot of corporate and governmental structures. Okay, uh, where to begin? <laughs> yeah, it is a large topic. <laughs> yeah, I think... The first thing I, I would encourage people to do is not take my word for it, but to actually look up the uh, the hair checklist, the PCLR uh, checklist on psychopathy, and actually just look at the ten, I mean, twenty traits that are uh, there for determining psychopathic personality. Now, the thing is that first of all, I would I would encourage people also to consider that the people with a lower IQ that exhibit these traits, they're the ones that usually get the studies. They're the ones that wind up in jail. They're the ones who fly off the handle and kill someone or rob a bank or just get in trouble a lot. Those with the higher IQs, they're the ones who, well, how do you say this? What, what's that, um, that saying? If, uh, if you give a man a gun, he can rob a bank. If you give a, ga- a man a bank, he can rob the world. Uh, the higher IQ psychopath is going to go for those areas where he or she can um, make more money, get more fame, um, get the limelight, essentially. And if we look at some of those traits, I, li- I listed lack of 
empathy and lack of guilt. Now, I also said that um, I'd run for office before. Um, that's not an indication I'm a psychopath, but but one of the, one of the first things I encountered was uh, my campaign manager saying, "Okay, well, you have to go here, 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 and ask this business and this person for money." And the first step you take in American politics at the you know even at the city city council level, but also at the state, and especially at the state legislative level, is you've got to go and ask people for money. If you don't get the money, you're not going to get the support. You're not going to be able to get your message out. And so basically, you have to be very good. You have to be very charming. You have to be very manipulative. To a certain degree, the, the whole shallow emotions bit of the person that can walk into an office, shake hands with someone, and basically say, you know, you give me money, and without saying it directly, I'll support your cause when I'm elected. That is the basis of our political system. And it's just getting worse and worse now that, you know, our, our campaigns have to be so media-oriented. People are no longer really expecting someone to knock on their door and say, hi, I'm running for office. Um, it doesn't work that way anymore. You have to have tons of money in order to run political ads in newspapers and television. So that's the first thing. I mean, if you're a politician and you're, and, and you're good at charming, um, people, you're going to wind up getting more money and you're going to have a better chance of winning. The, there's also the, the, the thrill seeker aspect. Um, when you look at certain politicians, I, I'm not going to say Bill Clinton's a psychopath, but in, in, in front of a large audience, it's almost like that's his natural element. And many politicians are that way. I mean, the fun part for Clinton was fundraising and speaking to, you know, going on massive speaking tours. Um, a lot of people would not have that ability to be able to keep that up. But if you enjoy it, if that thrill of the conquest is part of your personality, of course it's going to be an advantage. Um, another very important thing with psychopathy is the trait of having a grandiose sense of self or you feel you have a destiny. You're here on this earth um, to fulfill some personal uh, quest. Um, most of our people that get elected to president nowadays, if you look at their autobiographies, they're saying, well, when I was eight years old, you know, I decided I was going to become a president. Um, these are traits that actually help people. And in our society in which even 20 years ago, the media used to deal with politics, uh, they used to investigate politicians. Nowadays, it's we deal with politicians. We don't want to see pictures. Uh, I mean, we don't want to see an investigative report on what the policies of a politician will bring. Uh, most people want to see pictures of the politician playing with his dog and taking the kids to the park and... Um, holding his wife's hand and smiling. That's what, that's what's important now. And so we're making it almost inevitable that in a society that's almost become narcissistic in itself, that these people are going to rise to the top. It's a good point. It's a good point. It is, I think, a function of the way our society is structured. And to a certain extent, we can't be naive enough to create these structures to give people positions of power and then be surprised that people who want to seek power go after them. But on that note, again, we're coming up against a break. Let's take a short breather. We'll be right back after these messages. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Radio friends, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Michael Cross, the author of Freedom from Conscience, Melanie's Journey, published by Black Rose Writing. And we are talking about psychopathy and how it affects our society. And uh, there are numerous examples that spring to mind, in certainly in the alternative media venue that uh, that people might think of in this context, thinking about, for example, politicians and the concept of psychopathy. And people might think of, I am not a crook, Richard Nixon, or I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Bill Clinton, or uh, Madeleine Albright talking about 500,000 Iraqi children starving to death under the Iraqi sanctions in the 1990s and saying, yes, it was worth it, with a, a cold, calculated stare. Or we could think of... Uh, Hillary Clinton recently, we came, we saw, he died, talking about Gaddafi. And uh, people have a tendency, and perhaps rightfully so, to start scrutinizing such statements and uh, these politicians' ability to wield them as a, perhaps a, a sign of latent or, uh, or full-blown psychopathy. But, uh, but I think you raised an interesting point in the last segment. For example, you said you didn't want to pathologize Bill Clinton and, and, and presume to be able to come up with a, you know, a psychological study of him. I think we, we have a tendency in the alternative media to fall into a too easy diagnosis of people from, from afar. And although it's tempting, obviously, to use this label to, to try to explain away the, the evils committed in the p- political realm, perhaps it's too easy. And my fear is that that starts to become into something of a witch hunt, because uh, earlier in the the week in this uh, this broadcast we were talking to John Rappaport about the idea of psych- psychiatry and how the uh, the idea of psychiatric disorders in general can be used to suppress political dissent. Well, I think equally so we can get into a witch hunt type fervor looking for psychopaths under every rock. Um, Michael, I don't know exactly how I want to address this question to you, but I want to open up the issue for some discussion and perhaps debate. What do you think is the usefulness of of this as a political uh, expression in our in our current context? Should we be looking for psychopaths everywhere, or should we simply be aware of their existence? Well, I would say this. Yes, it is very easy when you look at diagnosis. I mean, if you... For instance, ADHD, I mean, if you give that to any number of people in a normal setting, most of them will test positive for ADHD if, if they go through a checklist and so forth. So, yeah, we have become somewhat um, maybe overzealous in trying to label people psychologically. However, that's one of the reasons why I try not to really deal with politicians specifically. If I do, I'll deal with uh, their their uh, behaviors. Do they fit a psychopathic behavior? Um, for instance, you bring up Hillary Clinton. I have no clue what her personality is, what her psychology is, or, or any of that. I don't know if anyone really does. However, the example you give where she was practically orgasmic when she was sitting there laughing and kind of jiggling around and saying, yeah, we came, we saw, he died. Uh that can give you an indication either of the individual or the political structures that we do create. I have a hard time with Labashevsky's name, <laughs> Andrew Labashevsky, but the guy came up with Ponderology, where he says that systems become psychopathic. Now, 
the I would I would I would say such things as taking a look at the post nine eleven uh, mentality that has gripped uh, especially America. Uh, I don't know if it's really gone so far in the rest of the Western world, but the acceptance that Big Brother is there to protect us. Uh, this indicates to me that people are willing to kind of take these steps and, and do these things, give up their liberties in order to become safe. And I think often that's what a psychopath will promise to people. Um, support me, I will give you what you want, I will protect you, and Maybe that's where they evolved from. Maybe people in the, you know, when you had little tribes, you know, and someone sees a nicer piece of land, it was the psychopath who said, yeah, let's go. Uh, let's rally everyone together and go take their land. And, and then there was a trickle down effect. The psychopath gets rich, but then the rest of the people wind up getting something out of it. Again, I would, I would tend to look at the systems themselves and not the individuals. Uh, is the system becoming more psychopathic? Um, and in that sense, I would say it's, that's where we should go. We shouldn't, we should be more, um, we should be more concerned with the culture, not the specific individual. Although if you do see an individual running for office and you know what these traits are and you can see these traits coming out, that gives people an idea of maybe what motivates that person. Well, I think that that is a good way of looking at it. And in fact, I'm no scientific expert on this issue, but I have followed some of the scientific debate about psychopathy and and sociopathology. And uh, I I think it's important to understand that when psychopaths come to positions of power in a system and they start to order that system after their own image, the system itself... Uh, tends to preference and bias towards people who who exhibit those same types of traits. And that system itself can create sociopaths, which is not the same as a psychopath, but is people who who are emulating psychopathic traits and and can account for a slightly larger percentage, maybe 5% of the population, or depends obviously on the study. But but that's my understanding of the the psychopathy of the system creating sociopaths in its image. Is that roughly what, what your research indicates? on that? Well, um, sociopathy, uh, if you look at like the DSM definitions of it, it seems to be more of a behavior uh, versus the personality. If you look at Hare's research and so forth, the uh, he deals more with the personality. Uh, the DSM would say, Diagnost- Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, would, would say that the behaviors have to be there. And while those overlap, um, I think that uh, psychopathy is more uh, relevant. It's 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 the um, knowing what's in the person, whereas psychiatry is sort of nowadays is sort of uh, gravitated towards symptoms versus what the person is inwardly. The soci the if, if, using the analogy a little further that you, you brought up, which I think is is very relevant is that the psychopaths wind up in charge, but the sociopaths are the ones who get the pleasure of enforcing whatever laws and customs that the psychopath comes up with. So if you're thinking of, if you go to YouTube and type in anything from TSA to police brutality now, you have thousands of videos out there that will 
illustrate um, horrible behavior. Now, are those individual policemen or agents of the government necessarily psychopaths? Not necessarily. Are they exhibiting sociopathic behavior? I think is is quite relevant there. It is true. So they there are some people who they get the permission to act out on their lower urges, or what Freud would call the id energy. Um, does that mean that they have no conscience? Uh, no, not necessarily. But within the context of whatever they're doing, whether it's, again, I'm going to use another uh, film um, analogy, the nurse ratchet on one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Was she a psychopath? I, I don't think so, but did she display sociopathic behavior uh, towards the Jack Nicholson character and others? Yes. So who's more dangerous? I would say actually the sociopath is more dangerous. Well, in, in many ways, <laughs> I think you're right. Because again, it, it's almost, it's not a choice per se, not a, a conscious decision that people are making, but it is something, an, a behavior that they're exhibiting that in other contexts, I don't think they would. So, so I think that this is very much, much a contextual issue. So that, for example, in Abu Ghraib, I think a lot of the, the, the soldiers that were involved in the torture there are not psychopaths. We're not born that way, but are people who have been placed into that situation and have become that. And that's not to absolve them of the personal responsibility for the actions that they took place, that they took part in. But I think we have to look at the contextual issues there and, and wonder what type of society in whatever given context we're looking at will create those types of behaviors. Yeah. And, and what happens when you give people permission to do whatever they wish, which, again, takes away that uh, conscious uh, anchor. Uh, Zimbardo, with the prison studies at Stanford, uh, showed how quickly people can take the roles that they think they should. Well, then let's expand the scope of this discussion. Maybe it's too too large a question, but uh, but let's try to bite off and see what we can chew. I mean, given if, if that is the case, that these these systems in, itself create the types of behaviors that we see, and assuming that we don't want to live in a, a, a dog-eat-dog society where, it, you know, it turns into a version of Abu Ghraib or something of the sort, and we don't want to live in this uh, war and terror police state that we see developing after 9-11, what kinds of changes need to happen on the societal level in order to stop this from, from playing out? How can we stop psychopaths from creating a system in their image? Well, uh, the, I think the number one thing is that the, uh, the one thing that uh, the founding fathers of the United States recognize is that power corrupts. And you have to separate powers if you have too much concentration, if you give too much to one single entity or an oligarchy of entities, you're going to have uh, abuse. And so one of the number one things is we have to get back to more of a decentralization. Unfortunately, if we look at the EU, it's becoming more centralized. Uh, if we look at the United States, it's becoming more centralized. If you take a look at many of the executive orders that Obama has been um, instituting um, and Congress basically being castrated and not doing anything about it. Uh, that's not a very good thing. That's not the way that the Founding Fathers envisioned the federal government to be. So that's the first thing. We have to demand accountability. We have to demand that we separate. You're never going to get the psychopaths out. 
you're never going to get them. And, and they, they're members of both parties. I don't think there's any more likelihood that a Republican or a Democrat is a psychopath. Um, but you've got to separate their powers so that they compete with each other, not that they can concentrate their power, as a uh, political pronology would suggest that they do. Um, we also have to we also have to divide up uh, the power of the media. One of the greatest things right now is the alternative media. There's a lot of issues. Do you think Holder right now would be being held in contempt if it wasn't for the alternative media? I mean, I don't think it would have happened. This whole fast and furious thing. Absolutely. In in a former media paradigm, that entire scandal could have been covered over absolutely with with ease. Absolute ease. Yeah, as well as a lot of the abuses we see, um, uh, like I said, the TSA and these sorts of things. These are things that have been generated because now people have the Internet. Now, ironically... The same people, I mean, ironically, the people who um, are criticizing China for Internet um, censorship now want to have bills that do the same thing. Right. In Lieberman the actually literally said on CNN, we need to have the same controls China has. But of course, when he says it in an American context, it all makes sense. Well, I couldn't agree more with you that we need to decentralize and we can't be surprised when we create levers of power over society and big government and then be surprised when people come and use them. So I think our naivete has to go out the window and we have to understand that centralized power will always corrupt and it will be used in corrupt ways. Uh, as a voluntarist, I take that to its logical conclusion and say we should just get rid of this bit stick of government altogether, but that's another issue, perhaps. But we have a caller on the line from Michael Cross's home state of Oregon, so let's go to Glenn. Glenn, thanks for joining us on the line tonight. This is Glenn Owen from Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm enjoying what you're doing right now so much, I don't want to interrupt it. I am the Cascadia Public Radio guy that you wanted to talk to a while back. I will call back and we will talk about it. That's all. Excellent. Thank all right. Well, thank you, Glenn. I do appreciate that. I appreciate your work. So call in any time. All right, Michael. Let's let's continue on then. So um, so we've talked a little bit about the the political context and the social context, but how about on the personal basis? I mean, there are people who out there have psychopaths in their lives or have encountered that. What types of uh, things would you say about that experience and what people can or should be doing in those experiences? Well, from the psychopath's point of view or the non-psychopath? <laughs> well, I was assuming that 99% of our listening audience are not psychopaths. Let's talk to the non-psychopaths in the audience. Okay, great. Um, you know, again, I, I, I like to use media here just to kind of illustrate things. If, if you've ever heard, if you ever watched the, the Henry Rowling's video from the 1990s called Liar? I haven't, uh, personally, no. Okay, well... It's, it would be a great uh, campaign song for either of the candidates running for office right now. Uh, but yeah, it's called Liar, and it illustrates the way the psychopath um, basically, well, manipulates and abuses and then leaves you on the roadside afterwards, uh, literally or figuratively. Um, the, the thing at the personal level is that we have to recognize that the more vulnerable we feel, the more vulnerable we are to manipulation. Uh, I remember watching a documentary on Charles Manson, and it said he could walk into a restaurant and look around, and he'd see some college girl, and she would display certain characteristics that he knew he could just walk up to her 
and basically get her into his family. Um, he didn't, and all of his followers were highly educated and uh, came from good homes. We have to recognize that we're all subject to manipulation. We're subject to manipulation by the media. I mean, Edward Bernays, uh, if people don't know about Edward Bernays, they need to look him up. Uh, he's at the standard for media today, which is basically manipulate me. Please tell me what I need to be okay. Well, the psychopath is the same way. The psychopath will tell you how wonderful you are, how special you are, uh, how great you are. And yet, at the same time, they don't display any uh, basic characteristics that would show that they really believe that. It's more of a tell the person what they want to hear at the particular time. Because they usually don't even have their own, what we would call a persona. Again, going back to Jung. They don't have something that's clearly defined. I am me. They are whoever they need to be in order to satisfy their their desires and their ego. So those are people you have to to be very careful of. Uh, I hate to use the term, you know, the if, if it's too good to be true, it's not true, but that often winds up to be the case in interpersonal relationships. That's not to say that the, the psychopath is not someone who, I'm, I'm not, again, I don't want to go into the witch hunt and say, oh, well, we got to isolate these people on island or something. I mean, many of them can be very good fathers, mothers. They could be your favorite professor. They could be your, you know, your doctor. Uh, they could be all these things. But never let your guard down. Well, that's uh, certainly true in any social situation, I think, not just dealing with psychopaths. Um, we have to be personally responsible for ourselves and our actions and watch out for uh, what's happening to us to not be manipulated. On that note, we'll take another break and we'll come back to wrap things up with Michael Cross right after these messages. Here we are in the final minutes of tonight's broadcast here on Republic Broadcasting. And we've been talking to Michael Cross, the author of uh, Freedom from Conscience, Mel- Melanie's Journey, available once again from Black Rose Writing. And uh, I'm just on the homepage of Black Rose Writing at blackrosewriting.com, and I noticed that in their upcoming novels section, they list uh, July 2012, July 26, 2012, FFC, Melanie's Awakening, author of, uh, by Michael Cross, uh, author of Freedom from Conscience, so there will be a follow-up to Freedom from Conscience? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this, um, so it goes from, um, well, I can't give away too much of the plot, but it, it's described there. It'll also be available on Amazon. Um, and if anyone wants, they can find the fan page on Facebook. I just type in Freedom from Conscience. Um, like I said, there, the, the, um, I actually have the rough drafts of several sequels, and I love writing. <laughs> and so, and so again, the, if if I'm fortunate enough to get the others published, this follows this character all the way through 
her getting elected into the state legislature and later into Congress. And, and so, uh, again, it, it, the, basically the message of the book is her trying to keep this secret life a secret. This, uh, somewhat bloodthirsty, uh, attitude, but also, uh, still being able to function within the normal realms of life, even though that tends to uh, be bad news for those around her. So, but the second one, um, yeah, I just just encourage people to check it out. Well, it's an intriguing idea, and I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it myself. I haven't had a chance to read Freedom from Conscience yet, so I guess in the meantime we can all catch up on that. But uh, we only have a minute or two left here. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with about what we've been discussing tonight? Well, I just would encourage uh, people to, again, I mean, if, if you're looking at this like a, beyond just the academic uh, perspective, essentially... A society that is hung up on itself, that is narcissistic in um, uh, what is there in it for me all the time, is going to be a society that uh, is basically going to open itself up to psychopathic leaders. And a society that does not demand accountability, either from its media, from its business, or its politics, is going to wind up not only being ruled by psychopaths, but they're going to get the very darkest of the dark side of this personality. So that that would be something I'd really want to uh, leave with people. Otherwise, we're going to see more cult of personalities, and uh, we're going to, and and when we have these cult of personalities, the accessories are not just the media, but it's also the people that allow it to happen. I, I agree completely. We have to stop putting uh, all of the problems of society off on other people and looking for other people to provide solutions. Obviously, we have to take our own responsibility for what we allow to happen or what we refuse to allow to happen. So so it's a, a very good message to leave things on. Michael Cross, we're fresh out of time. We're going to have to leave it there, there, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, James. For having me on? No problem. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Again, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and we will be back same time, same channel tomorrow. So I hope you will be able to join us then. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.